Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best tech leaders in the world to help you scale from 2 million ARR to 100 million ARR. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is Adrian Blair, the CEO of Receipt Bank, also former COO at Just Eat. Uh, Adrian, welcome to the show. Thank you. So let's get to be, be, let's get to know more about yourself and how did you end at Receipt Bank? Yeah, indeed. So I've I've worked in the tech industry, I guess, for the for the best part of twenty years. I started out uh, in the early days of internet search in the late nineteen nineties with a company called Ask Jeeves, which some of your listeners may remember. So I, I was leading their business development team in the UK um, around uh, around the millennium, right after the dot com bubble burst, um, I joined Ask Jeeves. Um, I stayed there for a couple of years um, and you know, we, we, we grew the business quite healthily, but we could also see that we were being outcompeted by Google. And the big lesson for me from that was um, that in the technology industry, technology is in fact the most important thing. The clue is in the name. Um, and our mistake, I think, at Just Eat was we were a marketing-led company, so we were investing heavily in brand and in TV. And we had a competitor that did no marketing but had amazing technology, and they were gaining share on us uh, every month. So I was there for a couple of years. I left because I could see the writing on the wall. I could see that Google were overtaking us. I moved to the U.S., um, did an MBA uh, at Harvard, and. After, after um, uh, a couple of years doing that, the only place I really wanted to work was Google because I was really fascinated by what they'd done to us uh, back at us. So I joined Google in, in California in 2004 and stayed there for the next six years. And that was definitely the most formative uh, period of my professional life, you know, really learning from the way Larry and Sergey were doing things at Google, a completely different way of running a business to what we've been taught in the course of uh, my MBA. Um, so I was there for six years. Um, I'm a passionate pianist, I'm a musician, so um, uh, was very intrigued by Spotify and music streaming. And you know, obviously, growing up at Google, uh, I really understood the cloud and, and the potential for everything ultimately to, to, to be in the cloud. So when I saw this cloud music company, I thought, wow, this is, this is what I ought to be doing. So I, so I joined Spotify in 2010. Um, and it had only been there a very short time when I got a call about a company called Just Eat. And uh, I was one of the few people at the time who had heard of Just Eat because I'm a passionate takeaway eater. Um, and I, I was already a Just Eat customer in 2010 uh, because I'm, I, I guess I'm an early adopter. So I took the call. Um, I met the CEO and we got on extremely well. Um, and I thought, wow, this is uh, this is actually a company with amazing potential uh, because it has a great product in a, um, in a huge market. And obviously there's a sort of inevitability to take away food ordering, moving from the telephone to digital channels. Um, and in principle, you should be able to build a huge company off the back of that. So that's what led me to move and uh, to leave Spotify very early to join Justita's chief operating officer at the beginning of 2011. And that's where I stayed uh, for the next seven years. So three years pre-IPO, uh, we went public in 2014 on the London Stock Exchange. Uh, and then I stayed for four years post-IPO um, and we were promoted to, to the FTSE 100 in uh, December 2017. Um, so after leaving um, Just Eat, which I did, uh, I guess, at the end of April 2018, 
I was looking for another company with that kind of potential um, to really um, uh, uh, drive change from uh, some you know old inefficient way of doing things to something um, something much more modern using the cloud. There aren't actually that many things in the world of consumers that haven't been done yet. Um, but if you look at the world of small businesses, there's still massive, massive inefficiencies. And, th and that's what led me to Receipt Bank and to think actually, this is an amazing, um, this is an amazing product um, in a huge market and it should be able to, uh, to conquer the world. So that's obviously what, uh, what I'm here to do. Andrew, let us know a little bit more about what is Receipt Bank. Yeah, so Receipt Bank is a company that transforms productivity for small businesses and their advisors, typically accountants and, and bookkeepers. So we make the bookkeeper and the accountant far more powerful um, and able to do far more for their uh, for their clients. And by doing so, we help small businesses to um, to focus on what they're great at rather than having to spend a lot of time on their financials and give them a better chance of growing and being successful um, instead of going bankrupt as, as far too many small businesses actually do. Um, the reason this, this resonates so much with me is um, I remember back to my time at, uh, at Just Eat, a, a large proportion of our restaurants every month were going bankrupt, were going out of business. And you know, the, these were small, entrepreneurs who are very good at what they do, which is cooking food and very bad at anything to do with money. So we think, you know, Receipt Bank, what, what small businesses need is professional help, um, but they need, to, um, they need to get the best out of um, a professional um, advisor in a way that is really efficient and doesn't take a lot of their time in, in doing manual tasks. So we really transform productivity for the small business and for their advisors and uh, and in doing so have a have a big impact on on the economy. I was talking to one of our customers yesterday um, who uses Receipt Bank with all of her all of her clients, um, and she was just giving me really tangible examples of where she does her job so much better because in the old days she was doing lots of manual work, and now she's able to focus on on actually. Um, on actually uh, high value adding activities. So she's giving her clients advice on how to save money. She's giving them advice on cash flow and, and how to make sure they, they still trade. She's giving her clients advice on accounts receivables and how to get paid more quickly. And she's charging actually more money for her services than she was able to in the past because she's doing these value adding activities. And basically what she was saying was, look, in, in the past, she would spend most of her time chasing her clients for information and typing all the information in after it had come through. So she was doing data entry mm -hmm. and nagging was essentially right. um, what her life involved. Now she's essentially using Receipt Bank to do all of that. So Receipt Bank is um, in the hands of all her clients. They've got our app on their phone. All the information that she needs is being submitted by her clients in real time. Um, so all of that nagging um, has gone away. The information is just coming through. We use machine learning to process the data. So we do it with 98% accuracy. So there's no more manual data entry. And we use machine learning to understand the information. So it's not just the actual characters on an invoice or whatever. It's the actual meaning of the information. What, what, what is it that the information conveys? We're using machine learning to do that as well. So all the bits of her life that she didn't like 
are being taken care of by Receipt Bank and automated. And what she's actually doing all day is the stuff that's more interesting that human beings are better at than machines. And the result is that these small businesses she works with are more successful and, and less likely to go out of business. So that's essentially the kind of thing that we want to do for every small business on, on the planet. Um, we work with 330,000 small businesses today. So we've already got quite widespread distribution. But we need to make that millions because, you know, there are still far too many businesses out there who are not getting the benefit of receipt back. Absolutely. And in terms of the stage uh, of growth for, for the CEOs, founders, executives mm -hmm. that are listening to, to the podcast, uh, where are you now in terms of ad count, funding rounds? Um, what are the, the next steps as well? We're around 450 people globally. So our, our biggest market is the UK, um, but it's only about a third of our business. So we're already very international. Uh, our second biggest market is Australia. Our third is the US. And we're also in Canada, France and South Africa. We have a big engineering team in Bulgaria. We have some outsourced operations in India. So we are quite um, a global bunch of people already. We're around 450. In terms of funding rounds, we are um, in the process of completing our Series C at the moment, um, uh, and there'll be, you know, I, I hope, um, something to announce on that within the next few weeks. So that's kind of where where things are at the moment. But but what, what we've really got to do as a company now is is cross that chasm um, for, uh, into the sort of hundred million plus ARR. So we're we're um, we're no longer you know down in the in the single digits. We're 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 a, we're a decent sized business. Um, but uh, but we've got to we've got to get to the 100 million plus uh, and then go go well beyond. And if I think back to my Just Eat experience, you know, just you're eat, saying 100 million plus MRR. Uh, what what did you mean? Well, with the well, we'll we'll start we'll start with 100 million plus ARR, um, and we'll ultimately get to 100 million plus MRR. Um, <laughs> uh, I hope, but but, to, but, uh, but that might that might take a little longer. But if I think back to my my Just Eat experience, you know, when I joined Just Eat, we were slightly smaller than Receipt Bank is today. And if I think of that path from, you know, um, Receipt Bank, uh, Just Eat when I joined was doing around 25, um, 25 million pounds of revenue per year. If I think of what it took to get from 25 to over 100, it was an enormous amount of work. I mean, it was really, you know, quite a lot of new leaders in the business, um, a lot of processes that needed to be reinvented. How many years did you need to of, go from the 25 to the winner? It took us uh, uh, about two, two and a half years. This so, so awesome yeah, yeah. I mean, and 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 you know, we um, we became a public company what three years three years after I joined, um, and and then we took that you know, but by by the time I left in 2018, um, we were doing uh, something like 760 million pounds a year of revenue. So so. We took it well, well beyond the uh, the hundred. But you know, I, I know from that experience, it's 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 really you know a non-trivial exercise to go from sort of tens of millions to to, to hundreds of millions. It requires huge amount of work, um, a lot of change inside the company, and that's frankly why most organisations don't achieve it. Um, but that's what I'm in the process of doing here at Receipt Bank. Is you know I've I've brought on board quite recently some leaders who've got experience of. of those kinds of scaling journeys, um, and we're really in the in that process now, of driving the change and and um, and the uh, the the growth and the ambition necessary to, to to get into the hundreds of millions. 
Yeah, you've been doing this before, what you are now trying to do at ReceiptBack, but on the COO seat and now mm -hmm. in the CEO yeah. seat, what are the main differences uh, between being on the COO seat, scaling up a company and now being in the CEO yeah. uh, seat? Yeah, so there, there's there's a couple of big ones. I would say, you know, your um, uh, your stakeholders and your time horizon are, are two of the key things. So, you know, as COO, stakeholder management isn't really such a big issue. It's very clear what 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 it is that you need to do. You need to drive performance and drive growth. And you've got one boss, and you've got uh, who's the CEO, um, and you've got. Team of people that you need to you know get together and really galvanize and and make sure are are performing really really strongly. Um, so your stakeholder um, group is is um, is pretty simple, and your time horizon as COO um, it should be longer than the next quarter. You shouldn't just be thinking about the next three months of growth, but you know you 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 should probably be thinking in a sort of twelve month plus time horizon. Um, but you're thinking very much in 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 uh, in terms of you know months um, quarters maybe a year maybe a bit more than a year but you're, you're thinking those sorts of time horizons as CEO those things completely change so you, your your stakeholder group becomes rather different um, you've got a board of directors who are all in some sense your uh, your boss you need to understand the uh, the complexities of that and the different agendas um, uh, around your board table um, you need to uh, you need to develop the overall vision for the company, um, and make sure that you that you're communicating that in a compelling way to um, both you know, up, um, down, and outside the company. Um, and your time horizon is just inherently longer. You, you 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 need to be thinking three plus years down the line. What what else is going on around our company, and how is our company going to play into the world as it might look in in let's say three three plus years time. Um, so the time horizon's different, the stakeholder group's different. Um, I think that there's also more of a, an external focus as CEO. I, I certainly felt it just eat as COO. I was, if anything, too internally focused. I, I, I wasn't going to a lot of um, events. I wasn't meeting a lot of people from other companies because my, my whole life was just consumed by the challenges of getting you know thousands of people across many different countries performing really well and, and doing a great job which you know just takes a lot of hours in the day um as ceo i think you you need to be uh, uh more externally focused than that and and you know um, meeting um peers from other industries um meet, getting to know people in companies around you in in the ecosystem so there is more of a um, uh, an external bent when when you're in the in the number one position. Got it. During the show, we always discuss three main pillars of scaling up uh, mm -hmm. a business. The first one is, of course, the team and yeah. the way you structure the leadership team. Yeah. The second one is much more related with focus and mm -hmm. strategy, and the third one much more related with execution and, and rhythms that are sure. uh, really valuable for you as, as a CEO now. And um, starting for the first one, uh, mm. and it is very underestimated the importance of working on the next version of, of the leadership team, like what we do with, with fundraising, starting to build relationships with our potential investors down the line. So when we get to that 
for that moment, we already know them, we already trust mm -hmm. them, they trust us and they understand. Uh, and we understand if they can also add value to our business uh, scaling up. So what is your approach to kind of always working on the next version of a leadership team? Are you a person that believes that your leadership team needs to change a lot from 5 million to 10 million ARR, from 10 to 20, 20 to 50? Or do you prefer to have the majority of, of the, of the members of the leadership team to stay with you. Um, yeah. I think team. I think it's very important to have a stable leadership group. Right. I think it really um, uh, destabilizes people, and, and um, you lose a lot of institutional learning if you've got leaders who are coming and going. So you know, one of the real foundations of our success at Just Eat was the stability of the leadership team. I mean, in my whole time of seven years. I had almost zero regretted departures of senior commercial people in that time. It was really an amazingly cohesive, uh, stable group. And in fact, you know, even today, the the, the leaders of the different countries, the, the 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 country general managers, are largely the same group that uh, that I um, that I left in 2018. So, you know, we had raised less capital than other people had in our in our sector. We we we, we didn't have. The most advanced technology um, in our sector, but we did have that amazing cohesive leadership group with a great culture um, that was a big ingredient of uh, of our success. So I'm very much a believer that you get a, a great group of people together, you become very close, um, and you grow together. And of course, in doing so, your domain knowledge um, uh, expands massively over time. You know, you you, you really become um, experts on your company, your industry, and, and what you're doing, um, in a way that you know it's very hard to just then substitute um, one of those people from outside. So, having said that, it's incredibly important if your ambition is to keep the group of people together and keep it tight as you scale from the sort of tens of millions to, to hundreds of millions. It's incredibly important that you've got a group of people who are who are able to go on that journey and 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 who who have what it takes. To, to scale and, and go a lot further. And that's why, you know, CEO and thinking about your leadership team, you need to be thinking not how have they done over the last couple of years, but how are they positioned for the next, you know, three plus year growth journey that, that we need to go on. So one of the things I've done at Receipt Bank since coming in is, is brought in some leaders on the commercial side who have that kind of experience. So, you know, I've brought in a uh, a new CFO, um, Christine Mullen, um, a new Chief Revenue Officer, um, Al Newman, uh, a new Chief Marketing Officer, Daryl Bowman. Um, so I brought in, you know, three very experienced people with a track record of, of going on these kinds of scaling journeys um, who are, you know, um, uh, part of that tight, cohesive group that's going to take us um, to, to being a far bigger organization. It's exciting. And it's one of the things, if I think back to Google, you know, what one of the amazing things that Larry and Sergey did at Google is they managed to find people very, very early on who, you know, literally when Google was like a couple of dozen people who had what it took to run multi-billion dollar companies. You know, but I think Susan Wojcicki, who's the, <laughs> the CEO of YouTube, um, obviously, you know, massive multi-billion um, uh, enterprise, was one of those very, very, very early employees. And the same is true for some of the people on the engineering side. I mean, it's, it's, it's really one of the amazing things that, that the guys did at Google. Right. We, we all know that 
one of the difficult and tough parts of scaling up is that the business, uh, if we have the, 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 the positive problem and we all expect to have this problem is mm -hmm. that the, the, the market goes quicker than the company and, and the company is growing quicker than the people who are leading uh, the company. So how do you ensure that we, we don't become the, the growth bottleneck so that we the, as the, CEO... The, the people themselves don't, absolutely. don't become so, the bottleneck. That's, and, Let's go for it. We know that we are in an outlier industry mm. uh, of, of the VC funds. Uh, one of the 10 uh, portfolio companies will be the home run, uh, which means that uh, they will have the, on, on the other nine or eight, they will try to find where is the market, where is revenue, how do we grow. Another part of the market that's where we prefer to be is oh, the market is uh, demanding so much from us and things mm -hmm. are going so quick that we can uh, dive by implosion uh, instead, by, by starvation, in, in, by implosion instead of starvation. <laughs> uh, so, which, which is a, a very interesting uh, There are so many ways to talk. <laughs> so, uh, how do you ensure that you keep evolving quickly than the business and, and you did it at, uh, at just it and to ensure that the same happens with your leadership team. I think, I think you also answered to that in the yeah, leadership I, team. I, I think I think some of it is just getting people who who have been there um, who love that kind of um, uh, uncapped growth opportunity. Um, you know, I think it's it's what one of the key differences between managers and leaders is. You know, m managers. Are all about continuity and and no surprises and and, and making um, the status quo work a bit better. Leaders are about change and driving change right. and, and having a vision of something different and getting to that different stage as soon as possible. So I think if you build a team of real leaders, um, they seize these opportunities and you know, see an, an industry that's changing very fast and see the potential of technology. And are really impatient in, in a um, in a hurry to get there. So, um, so I think I think if you um, if you get the right um, the right um, senior leadership team, you uh, you end up getting ahead of that. You know, you you mm -hmm. you, you are um, you are sort of creating the growth, creating the opportunities, rather than feeling like you're somehow the victim of them. <laughs> Got it. Perfect. And uh, let's jump for the second topic, which is much more related with focus. We all know that strategy yeah. is a subtraction exercise. It's yeah. about doubling down and doing few and few things. Indeed. Uh, and it's very tempting when we are kind of trying to double or triple the business uh, to add new avenues of growth, add yeah. more complexity, more geos, more products, uh, more segments. So how do you, do you as a CEO assure that the team is really focused on what needs to get achieved in the quarter and how it fits the next year, the next three years, as you were saying, or even the milestones over the next yeah. funding rounds. And yeah, I think I think there's there's a, a couple of things, and, and yeah. these are definitely um, lessons that I learned um, uh, very strongly at, uh, at Google. So, um, one thing is uh, quarterly OKRs, which you know I think all, all um, most tech companies use yes. these days. But you know, really at Google, that's sort of in your blood. It's it's um, <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the the first thing I've done. Uh, the first thing I did at Just Team was introduce quarterly OKRs, and, right. and I did the same again um, here at at Receipt Bank because it's just one of those things. Like if you, if you come in and people don't have clear quarterly goals, you just right. wonder 
what are they doing all day? What's going on? Um, so that's just some, one of those basics that I can't really I can't really live without. So OKRs are helpful in giving everybody um, a, a tangible sense of what's expected of them and, and what they are looking to achieve in a quarter. It also the the main reason I like OKRs is because they force the right conversation between everybody and their manager. Um, about what priorities should actually look like. So, you know, everyone in the company should be having a conversation with their manager saying, what, is, what are the most important things that I need to um, change or achieve in, in, in the next few months? Um, and OKRs are a way of ensuring that those conversations happen. They're also a great way, of course, of alignment across teams. So, you know, I don't see OKRs as sort of stick to beat people with if they're not achieving their OKRs. It's about provoking those conversations and making sure that teams are aligned so that, you know, the, the engineering team's priorities support the sales team's priorities and, and, and the marketing team's priorities. And, and, and they're all internally consistent. So OKRs are 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 uh, a, an important tool for uh, for achieving that. But I think the other um, more long-term thing is, as a company, you need to be really clear on what your distinctive strengths are. So at Google, and, and then double down on those and, and invest in those. So in Google, we were always very clear, it was search and ads. Um, so 70% of all our investment had to go into search and ads. And no one would ever come close to us at search and ads. We might not be the best at some other things, like you know, marketing, for example. Certainly in the early days, was an area where Google was weak and just didn't really think very much about about marketing. But as long as we were the best at search and ads, it kind of didn't matter. Um, per my my Ask Jeeves example, where you know, <laughs> we, we 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 got beaten by the company that was focused on technology, even though we were very good at, at, uh, at marketing. So uh, I think it's important that every company to have a clear sense of what you're great at and make sure that you remain great at that. And then it's a question of what, how much resources they're left over for other things that are, that are optional. But staying great at what you're great at is the non-optional thing that you have to invest in first. So if I think of Receipt Bank, you know, the, the, there's a couple of things that we are just streets ahead of um, of everybody else on. One is machine learning powered data extraction. So using artificial intelligence to understand financial information and, and what it means. We're great at that. We need to keep investing in that and become better, better and better. So, you know, just in the last few months, we've added several machine learning engineers. We managed to attract some amazing machine learning talent to ensure that we remain um, best in class in terms of, of uh, data extraction. Um, the other area where we're, um, we're world class is the workflows of our customers. So accountants and bookkeepers, what are all the things that they're spending time on? Let's use automation to make those things um, uh, to make those things far more efficient. And we've, um, I think, understood that problem and understood the customer needs in more depth than anybody else. So those are the areas that are equivalent to search and ads where we need to really like double down and make sure that we are absolutely world-class at those things. And then everything else is kind of, um, uh, is, is, is more discretionary, I guess. It's very interesting. I was listening to you and I think this is one of the components that the majority of, of scale-ups and of companies in general, but we, we, we are discussing scale-ups 
miss in their strategic planning exercises, mm -hmm. which is really talking about strategy before moving to the OKRs and going from yeah. the future to the yeah. present. Yeah. I was thinking one of the tools that, that we use implementing the, the scaling up methodology is the seven strata where we go, what are the words that you want, which is exactly what you were saying about search and ads and, and uh, machine learning adapted to yeah. the finance yeah. uh, world in, in the case of Receipt Bank. Second part is what are our core customers? What are our brand promises? What are the what are the KPIs that we, in order that we measure if we are delivering those brand promises to those core customers? What is our unfair advantage? What are our differentiating activities? Uh, and finally, then we come to the big area of the issues goal and we start doing, okay, what is the category that we're trying to win? What will be in 10 years, uh, next three years, next funding round, next year, next uh, next quarter, and let's define the OKRs and ensure that everyone is on on, on the same page. But usually this kind of discussion is very difficult uh, to to do if you don't have a very mature uh, leadership team because it's it can be very strategic and I think that's part of part of the job is also bridging that strategic mindset with execution mindset mm -hmm. that as a CEO and CEO you kind of have a perfect balance and I think that's what great CEOs um, have how is it to you to translate strategic discussions into operational uh, discussions that people can understand uh, what they need to do in order to implement the strategy? Yeah, I think um, uh, it's always it's always challenging because when you get a bunch of intelligent people together, <laughs> you inevitably have a lot of good ideas, lots of good ideas because you've got lots of intelligent people and that's what intelligent people do okay. they, they they come up with good ideas the reason it's challenging is not because you can't come up with any good ideas the problem the challenge is how do you whittle those down and keep the organization focused on the right ones right. Um, and that's much easier said than done because the danger is you know um, intelligent people want to do interesting things and have lots of good ideas and so end up going off in all sorts of directions, doing things that may well be good ideas, but they're not a good idea if, if they're not consistent with what everyone else is doing and if they're right. moving focus from, from some things that, that really matter. Um, so it kind of um, uh, sounds a bit boring, but you need to prune a lot of these good ideas away um, and say, you know, no people, um, these are the key things that that we need to get done you know what one of the things i remember at, at just eat is you know we were great believers in putting stickers on the window of a restaurant um, mm -hmm. as a way to drive customer awareness and and get growth growth and you know we had data that proved that that worked now putting stickers on the window of a restaurant is a really boring thing to do and believe me you know, I, I i did it hundreds of times I, I remember doing it in canada when it was minus 40 degrees outside wow. and you know fingers almost almost <laughs> falling off my hand in somewhere like calgary or edmonton or somewhere incredibly cold in canada um so uh, something very boring um but incredibly important incredibly good value in terms of driving our growth so you know one of the things we often had to do at just eat was sort of stop people doing other things that were far more fun and interesting than that to ensure that they that they were doing that and you know um not 
if, if you came to me with a with a new interesting idea, my first question would be, well, what percentage of your restaurants have stickers on the window? Um, and if the answer was less than 90%, then you should probably do that before you go and do that other interesting thing. So I think there are equivalents to that in, in, uh, in most companies where you kind of know what works, you know what your playbook is. Um, your job is to first execute on that um, and then see, see what else there is, uh, there is capacity for. It's all about skipping the main thing, the main thing. Uh, and in terms of execution, so if we have the right leadership team in place, uh, yeah. and all layers of leadership, of course, yeah. with 450 people on, 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 at this stage, you also need to have a very strong uh, middle management uh, team yeah. to be able to communicate quickly from the top to the bottom yeah. and, and, and vice versa. Uh, and if they, have crystal clear what they need to do in terms of differentiation, in terms of executing the next milestones. It's all about uh, getting it done. Mm -hmm. um, so what are some of the most uh, valuable rhythms to you uh, that you've been using along your journey to drive morale, inspiration, and focus everyone on, on the same page? So everyone in the tech industry is doing the typical one-on-ones, mm -hmm. dailies, weeklies, monthlies, quarterly reviews, level reviews. All ends. Is there any every time period is covered? Yeah. <laughs> what do you do on a minutely basis? Yeah. Um, so, so some things that I do. I mean, I, I think with these things, it's not so much about having the most intellectually um, pure uh, answer or you know having the best idea. It's it's really about making a decision and sticking to it in in in, in practice, so that people get a sort of rhythm. That they can that they can plan around. So um, one of the things that I started doing um, straight away at Receipt Bank is uh, a weekly uh, global hands. So nine o'clock um, every morning, uh, every Monday morning, um, which is somewhat masochistic because it's often not what I feel like doing at nine a.m. on a Monday. <laughs> um, but it, it is so nine a.m. every Monday. Uh, we do a global all hands where, um, uh, which is you know live on. Zoom to um, to anyone at Receipt Bank uh, around the world, and um, so I will typically present for ten minutes or so on uh, anything that's happened the previous week, anything important coming up that people need to know about, and then we'll have some special guests. And actually, one thing I'm keen to do more of is is involve more customers in those sessions because typically to date we've had internal speakers, but but I think it's so important that people regularly hear from customers, which, you know, obviously if you're in a sales role, you're doing that all the time, but it's it's important that people right across the business really understand, really understand the customer. So those um, weekly all hands meetings are one thing that I've introduced. I also um, do a monthly email um, to all staff um, with, uh, you know, just, I guess, um, a more structured um, take on, on what's going on than you typically get in those in those weekly meetings. Um, I, I'm a big believer. I mean, this um, this is very common in tech, but I'm a huge believer in weekly one-on-ones with your direct reports. So uh, I do um, I do you know uh, an hour a week with mine with more experienced people. You sometimes want to make that bi-weekly. Um, sometimes week, weekly is too much. But I think the foundation of being a great manager is really getting to know people and and uh, having that um, that point every week that's their time when they can raise anything they want with you and you make sure you're aligned on priorities and challenges that that the person is is facing so that those one-on-ones are quite 
foundational. Um, we're moving, uh, we, we have been doing uh, quarterly business unit reviews, which is something I, I always used at Just Eat. Um, I'm starting to get now more of a monthly cadence. Um, so do something simpler, but do uh, do it more more regularly um, yes. with each of the uh, the business units. But you know, the, 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 there I think with these things that there are no sort of pure right or wrong um, answers. I think it's about you know deciding and then sticking to it and and and, and really you know committing to your processes. And also I think using your processes um, for the purposes that they were intended. Because sometimes what happens is um, these things are all in the calendar and they, some, they, they require preparation and people sort of prepare for the things as ends in themselves while forgetting why they're really doing it, right? So, you know, you're, you're having a quarterly business review oh no, that means I've got to prepare my quarterly business review slides and you know put some data together for my quarterly business review. Um, forgetting that the point of the quarterly business review is not to have a quarterly business review and have everyone say that it was a nice one. The point is to actually make some decisions. You know, you, you've got a group of people in the room who are usually not together. This is the opportunity for that group to actually tackle some, some difficult questions and do something useful. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it, it's something very human, I think, is sort of to, right. to want to tick something off the list and, you know, make it happen while forgetting why are we actually doing this thing Absolutely. in the first place? Um, so that's that's all those sort of natural human tendencies to to look out for. Um, and it's it's just important in all these you know meetings that it doesn't become too um, too corporate. Um, by which I mean um, uh, by which I mean um, not candid. You know, corporate behaviour for me is is sort of thinking about process and planning and you know, people and and positions and egos and all that stuff, um, rather than having a really candid discussion about the actual issues. Um, you know, uh, are the um, are the people the right people? Are there competitive challenges that we're coming against that we need to really face up to? Um, are there lessons in the data um, that are apparent, and are we surfacing those lessons and you know really getting to the the nub of um, of what the issues are that, that the data is telling us. So, you know, in all these processes, management needs to be really candid and focused on the actual um, substance of the issues. And, and that requires a lot of trust between people mm-hmm. because you've got to really trust each other to be able to, right. um, to have that level of, uh, uh, of candor. Um, and that's what, you know, it, it's the, the challenge, I think, for every CEO is to get a group of people together between whom there is that level of trust. Absolutely. That, that's a very, uh, very good point. And it comes back to being a CEO is one of the most uh, difficult jobs uh, in the world. So uh, you must have some of the most difficult uh, problems to solve <laughs> uh, every single day coming to your table. And uh, sometimes it can, it can be even for the most high energy, positive people. Uh, it can be very overwhelming always to have another tough problem to solve uh, and to go yeah. through with your direct reports. So how do you keep your energy high and how do you keep sane uh, going through this kind of hectic growth uh, yeah. on your journey? Yeah, so um, I mean, I actually dispute that it's um, one of the 
most difficult jobs in the world. You know, I, I, I think, you know, nurses, <laughs> firefighters, um, right. uh, soldiers, um, you know, um, uh, people who, who, uh, girls are very positive and um, growth mindset. These are the people who are typically, by the way, paid far less than CEOs. Um, these are the people with the really challenging jobs. And, you know, I think it's, it, it does, um, Uh, pay for CEOs to 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 remember remember that that you know typically in these situations no one's actually going to die um, no one's actually going to right. get hurt um, and uh, you know I think it is it is um, important that we all have that kind of perspective so um, the way I think uh, uh, um, uh, about all these challenges you have as CEO is just to adopt the mentality of a sports team or, or a game of chess or, you know, mm -hmm. whatever competitive situation you enjoy. I mean, if, if I'm playing chess with you, I want the game to be difficult, right? If, <laughs> if you're just letting me take your pieces one by one, um, I'm going to win the game, but it would have been a really boring game. Um, and if you put me in some really difficult position, I'm not going to go, oh my God, I can't believe what you've done. <laughs> that, that, that's like the whole fun of playing chess is, is, is difficult. And I, of course, I, I really want to win but it's challenging and you know the same is true of football or tennis or, or whatever you enjoy so I think the, the, the mentality the spirit um, that I try to bring to work is that sort of competitive sport you you, you really want to win but you also want it to be difficult and, right. and if it wasn't difficult it wouldn't be fun right. um, and and so you know all the challenges that come your way um, uh, you try to have that sort of positive um, positive um, Uh, mentality around yeah. and you know what one of the great things about being the CEO one, one of the privileges of being the CEO is you, it's really on you to bring together the group of people and the culture um, that uh, that enable that spirit to come alive um, you know because it is difficult um, to be positive like that if you're surrounded by a whole bunch of people who who are you know very emotional and negative and you know um, uh, uh, just wallow in their problems but the great thing as ceo is you can surround yourself with people who who um do have that sort of positive um uh right. energetic outlook on things um and that's what you know ultimately makes it uh, makes it a fun place to work so let, let's go for one of our favorite uh questions in the show and the last one mm. which is If you would have the opportunity to meet uh, Adrian, and let's go back to the beginning of just it, uh, because you have been with Reset Bank for how long now? Only nine months. So yeah. let's let's do it a little bit longer. So, what advice would you offer to Adrian at that time? I I, I would say um, be very open to taking risks. You know, I mean, you're you're younger. The younger you are. Um, in a sense, the more the more risks you can take, because you know the older you get, you acquire um, you acquire you know um, potentially um, uh, well, you, you, you acquire assets and children potentially. You 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 just inherently have more to lose, um, and you haven't you, you you've got less and less time left, I guess, every day. <laughs> Whereas when you're young, you've got nothing to lose, and you've got and you've got a lot of time. Um, uh, you've got a long, hopefully, a long life ahead of you. Um, so, I would say, you know, you're 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 in a great position to take risks when when you're younger. And, and generally, when I've been bold and taken risks, like you know, when, when I 
uh, I left a consulting job to join Ask Jeeves after the after the dot com bubble had burst. That was a pretty big risk. Um, and people in the consulting firm I left were like, "You're you're crazy. What the hell are you doing?" Um, and uh, you know, likewise, when when I left Google to join Spotify, people at Google thought I was crazy. When I left Spotify to join Just Eat, people at Spotify thought I was really crazy to be leaving this music business to, to go and sell takeaways. So, so every time I've taken a risk, it's, it's paid off. Um, and, uh, it, it's been, it's been a good thing. Um, and, you know, I, I would say to my younger self, just do more of that, like be, be, be more willing to, um, to, uh, to take risks and, and, uh, what's, what's the worst that can happen. What an amazing way of closing the show. Uh, Adrian, thank you so much for making the time to share your experience with, with the community. Thank you very much. It's been fun. And to our community, thanks for being on that side. Uh, keep us updated about what serves you the best, and we will keep bringing you the best lessons uh, of the best tech leaders in the world to help you scale from 2 million to 100 million error. Keep scaling and see you soon.